We are contingent reality. God is absolute eternal reality. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Abdul Rahman Malik back. He's Associate Research Scholar and Lecturer in Islamic Studies, and this week he's talking with Joel Baden, Professor of Hebrew Bible and Director of the Center for Continuing Education. They're discussing Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6 and 14 through 16, which is appointed for track one of the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 21, in year C. The text is read for you by student Aidan Stoddart. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 6 and 14 through 16. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. Well, Joel, when I, when I read these passages from Psalm 91, as a Muslim coming to this text, I immediately hear the words of the Prophet Muhammad. And there's a set of sayings of, of the Prophet Muhammad, which are called the Hadith Qudsi, almost like the sacred sayings. They're not Quran, they're not revelation, but they're God speaking through the Prophet. And therefore, when the Prophet says these words, he's saying them as if God is saying them. And there's this really powerful and, and profound uh, Hadith Qudsi, which is oft cited by the the Sufis and the and the mystics and those who are committed to spiritual formation within the Islamic tradition, which says that that the believer draws close to me. This is God speaking through the supererogatory acts of devotion and worship. And becomes so dedicated to them that God becomes the eyes with which they see, the feet with which they walk, the hand with which they strike, and so on and so forth. And reading particularly verses 14 to 16 in, in Psalm 91, I was immediately reminded of that. I was re- immediately reminded of this relationship that God enters into with the creation, almost occupying and becoming and acting through creation. What's, I guess, interesting for me, Joel, and I'd I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that in some way, I think our belief tells us that God is acting through us all the time anyways, but there's there's something here that makes that more explicit, yeah, I mean, part of what I what I think is giving you that sensation, perhaps, is that this text I, I feel like is is explicit in in a sort of uh, a cause and effect or, a, or the relational sort of sense here of 
I will care for you and you will trust that I'll care for you. The, the way that these last verses that you're talking about are formulated, those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. So this, there's, there, the two sides are represented sort of verbally in, in the poetry itself. But it's, you know, it's, it's God open and, and willing to, to, to perform these acts of, as it says, of salvation and rescue and honor and answer and deliverance and protection for what it seems like simply for people who ask for it. Uh, and to me, at least, and again, this may be, and this, you know, you started off coming from, from your background. For me, this may be because I'm coming from a, a Jewish background. One of the things I find fascinating about this, about this psalm is that the deliverance that's promised and the bulk of the psalm, the, middle, the whole middle of the psalm is just a, a litany of ways that God will deliver the, the, the psalmist or, the, or, the, or the, the faithful person. But it's entirely predicated on simply saying, I trust. It's a verbal expression of God is my refuge and my fortress in whom I trust. And, you know, as long as you say that, God's going to be there for you. Which, again, from, from a Jewish perspective, I'm like, what about doing, like, surely you need to, like, there's doing stuff that is implied in, in faith. But here it's, it's totally, it's like, it feels very Christian, actually, in a sense. Like, just, just say you believe and I'll take care of you. Yeah, as a spiritual movement that doesn't require anything else other than other than an acknowledgement and an attestation of that thing. But th- I think that's a really important question. How does your Jewish sensibility or, or my Muslim sensibility receive that? Because I do feel that, I don't know, I feel like in the, in the Islamic tradition, we hold both those things. We hold God's grace, which is not transactional, because it is offered and given alongside God's mercy and love and compassion and generosity to whom God pleases to give that to. And at the same time, we are called to do good works, to devotion, to supererogatory acts of of worship, of being in the world in a particular way, which opens the doors of blessing. And I think both are, are entirely possible. But I do think that our religious sensibilities are that words are not enough. Yeah. Actually, and from a biblical perspective, and here I'll, I'll speak as a, as a biblicist, one of the interesting sort of ironies of the biblical text is that, especially given its sort of Christian, um, you know, appropriation, is what is assumed in the biblical text is the, the, the action, the ritual action in particular. There's almost never a moment in the Bible when it says something like, remember to sacrifice, right? What it says is, yeah, okay, great, you're sacrificing, good for you, but what you're missing is the stuff that comes with it, the non-tangible, right? It's the social justice, it's the faithfulness, it's the correct attitude, it's the, right? Those are the things that the prophet, the prophets call on us to, to, feel and be better people and to have faith and to trust over and above the assumed baseline of, of course, you're sacrificing, right? Of course, you're doing the things. Uh, So when I read this from my biblicist uh, perspective, 
I read it and I'm like, it's not saying all you need to do is say that you trust. It's saying, I assume that you're, you're going through all of the normal motions. And then on top of that, you need to come with something, something more, something that gives like a meaning, a deeper meaning to those ritualized acts. Does the transactional language sometimes contained in these kinds of verses ever bother you? Did you ever look at it and say, well, you know, God is creator, we are creation. In the Islamic tradition, we are contingent reality. God is absolute eternal reality. Our very being, our very breath, our very moment between breaths is contingent on God's maintaining and sustaining us. Boy, any transaction is really one-sided. And why does God require this transaction from us. I've often wondered about that because I think I think there is this transactional element uh, of it, and I think I think in, in our in our in our mystical and spiritual traditions, we evolve a kind of a, a, a landscape of love, affection, intimacy with God, which sort of transcends transaction into that into that other field that Rumi speaks about. You know, beyond transaction, beyond good and evil, to a place of 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 devotion and love and and intimacy with with the divine and I can I can begin to uh, I can begin to conceptualize it there but in the realm of human I take you give you offer you will uh, you will receive in kind and and greater I don't know it's always felt um I've struggled with it <laughs> I hear you I hear you and of course this is not there's nothing static about this right this is a constantly shifting changing uh notion of our understanding of God, of what God wants. So again, right, if I'm going to talk about this from a biblical perspective, I'm going to say it's entirely transactional. It's openly, openly transactional, right? In part because in like really going back there, uh, biblical terms, and I would, I think probably this is, some would belong in that category too. These are coming out of a context where there are other gods. And, and what's, what's at stake here is, is that you're supposed to be worshiping this one, right? So when it says, you should be trusting in, right, the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord. That's saying, right, if you trust in Israel's God, Israel's God will take care of you. And that's a really important thing to say when there are other deities that you could also potentially be going to. So I, I think that accounts for some of some of this language. Well, that really, that actually gives it a, a very important and, and uh, compelling context. But what do you do with that? I mean, and this is the interpretive question. What do you do with that once we've given up on the notion of other gods? Now I've got this transactional language that you're seeing embedded in our, in our scriptural texts. How do we understand it? In a sense, I think what seems to be troubling you, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that what's troubling you here is positive transaction. That is, if you uh, worship me correctly, I will bless and take care of you. I will sustain you. Do you feel as bothered by negative transaction? If you disobey, I will punish you. Because it seems to me, if you're cool with one, if you can conceive of disobedience results in punishment or curse or simply you know, the removal of blessing, then the opposite should be just as acceptable. No? No, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think at, at times... 
uh, reflecting on my own sort of uh, spiritual sensibilities. Yes, I I I, I would agree with you. It, he, the negative transactional is is also at times unnerving and unsettling because what we are offered really as a vision of the divine is is the merciful and the compassionate beyond compare. I think in the Quranic language, it would be God saying to us, I am present, I have never been absent. Why do you despair of the mercy of God? Reach out and connect yourself to it. And that's where I find solace in that negative transactional. Uh, realizing that that our actions in the world have consequence, um, and yet, and also, God's mercy is ever present, and it requires nothing but one's attachment to it in order to access it. It requires an acknowledgement of the presence of the divine close and intimate with us. And I think that's the way, through my own sort of spiritual language and spiritual lexicon, that I get over that, that those concerns about, about transactions. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Baden and Malik, for taking us through some of Psalm 91. For more Bible study resources, check out YaleBibleStudy.org. Some of the resources there are about specific books of the Bible, or we also have themed studies like women in the Bible. It's all free. That's YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. And our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.